Welcome to episode 175 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is excited to offer members a new way to explore their interests with the new Plus Catalog. This holiday season will certainly be more special than last. It's finally time to gather together and exchange thoughtful gifts with the people you care about. In the midst of all the holiday excitement, Think about giving yourself the gift of an Audible membership. Now is the absolute best time to do it with a special offer of 60% off your first three months. With Audible, you can listen to more of whatever you're into because Audible has it all. An unbeatable selection of audiobooks, tons of binge-worthy podcasts, and exclusive originals. All available to download or stream. Here's what you get. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month, like the latest bestseller or hottest new release, yours to keep forever. You can listen to Melanie's book, What When Wine, or either of my books, Delay Don't Deny or Fast Feast Repeat. And coming January 4th, you can listen to Cleanish. Here's the best part. You also get full access to Audible's streaming library, the Plus Catalog. Discover your next podcast obsession, check that audiobook off your bucket list, or get lost in a world of original content from celebrity creators, best-selling authors, and leading experts. The kind of stuff you can't hear anywhere else. Stream all you want, as much as you want. No matter where you're going or what you're doing this holiday season, you'll always have just the right thing to listen to at your fingertips. Now that I'm doing a lot of driving to the beach and back, Audible is the perfect companion for each trip. There's so much to choose from that I will never be done finding great options. Right now, for a limited time, save 60% on your first three months of Audible. That's only $5.95 a month. Give yourself the gift of listening. For more, go to audible.com slash ifpodcast. That's audible.com slash ifpodcast. Or you can text ifpodcast to 500-500 for 60% off your first three months. That's definitely a gift you'll love to give yourself. And now back to the show. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during 
during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 175 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. That's a lot of episodes. I was just about to say 175. That feels like a number. It does. 200 is coming up. Are we going to do something fun for 200? What should we do? I don't know. Another ask me anything. Did we do one of those already? We did that for 100. Maybe we should do that for 200. I think that would be fun. I think so too. Let's do it. All right, listeners, we're doing it. Start submitting now. So how many? That's 15 episodes away. Oh, wait. Well, that's still like what? Three months. That's 25 episodes away. Oh, gosh. I can't do math. Okay. Never mind. Do not submit them now. Don't submit yet. Never mind. Lies. (laughs) Be thinking about them, people. (laughs) Be thinking about. Ask us anything. But don't send yet, please. (laughs) And uh, some of the questions might have to do with math. No. (laughs) All right. Good times. Anyway, we'll look forward to that for episode 200, but we'll wait till we're closer so we can collect the questions. Yes. How are you today? Well, I'm waiting for the cabinet guy to come. You know, we've been remodeling this bathroom since January. Yes, that's right. January. 
It is now August. Yes, that's right. August. <laughs> we rem- are remodeling this guest bathroom that looked like the 1980s. <sighs> the vanity has just been like a comedy of errors. So fingers crossed that the vanity is correct. And I'm never going to get a complicated vanity ever again. This wasn't supposed to be a complicated vanity. But anyway, I've learned a lot of lessons. Do you know what my favorite acting role of all time on stage was? What was that? Comedy of errors. Oh, well, this has been a comedy of errors. And (laughs) also, don't order vanities, apparently. No offense, Canada. I love you, Canada. But I'm not going to order a vanity from Canada. I love you, Canada. I feel bad. but (laughs) I feel like you've been remodeling something since our first episode. Well, really, I've just been remodeling this bathroom forever. But we're always, you know, that's the thing about having a house. There's always something to do, something to work on. You know, by the time you fix one thing, something else needs fixing. Like we just had to put in a new air conditioning system. That's exciting. I love air conditioning. Oh, it was exciting. Oh, yeah. It like changed our master bedroom. I love my house, but the heating and AC guy, it's like, wow, this is the most interesting house I've ever seen when it comes to heat and AC. (laughs) So it took them two full days to install a new unit. That's how complicated our house is. But the bedroom is so much cooler. It's like fabulous. It's kind of like when the air people come in my apartment and they're like, this is the cleanest air we've ever smelled. Exactly. Plug for Molecule. (laughs) Guess what? What's that? Actually, I don't know if I already told you. Did I tell you I interviewed Rob Wolf? I don't think you did. That's exciting. How did that go? I literally almost cried twice. Literally. (laughs) Because he's literally the reason. Like, I read The Paleo Solution in 2012. And that was that. <laughs> like, and I've been listening to his podcast since 2012. He's like my hero. I thank him and the acknowledgments of my book. Like, it's really funny though. I, I started the interview and the amount of fangirling that I was doing was just ridiculous. And like in the first sentence, he mentioned his wife and I was like, Oh gosh, he probably thinks I'm <laughs> like hitting on him. I'm not. I'm just like obsessed. So it was really, really wonderful. It was about his new book, Sacred Cow, which is a very critical look at the role of like regenerative agriculture and the role of animals in a sustainable food system. And it's really, really fascinating. Honestly, you know what? Sometimes you read a book and it just, you realize that you really weren't understanding something complete. Like you, you just completely have a new perspective on something. That is that book. It can either be like a really passionate subject for people who are really passionate, or it can be a really dry subject for people who aren't you know, really interested, but it's a really, really good read. And I think like for the betterment of humanity, everybody should read it. <laughs> and I mean that. So what's like the the number one, like takeaway, like a short, short takeaway? Basically the takeaway is that the sustainability for the health of our bodies, for the sustainability of our economic system, supporting like complete nutrition, from like a cost basis and sustainability of the environment all really requires a regenerative agriculture inclusive of plants, plants and animals. Oh, and for fixing the climate change issue, like a plant-based system is just actually probably going to make that worse, make all of that worse. And like the vital role of animals and the environment and our health. So And like the role of privilege, like, sorry, I'm going on tangents, but like in order to have like a completely nutritious plant-based diet that meets all nutritional needs, it actually is from a privileged state because it requires 
like supplementation and foods that aren't available at a cheap level. So that's actually a privilege. I don't know. It's fascinating. That is an excellent point. You know, I'm watching my 20-year-old son, you know, navigate living alone for the first time. And, you know, he dropped out of art school because he changed his mind about what he wanted to do. And I'm really glad because he was going to a very expensive art school that we were paying for. And I'm glad he didn't waste, you know, all the money for an education that he realized he didn't need, is my point. I bet a lot of people aren't like, yay, I'm glad my child dropped out of school, but hopefully you get my point with it. But now he's he's figuring out his way, and he cannot afford to buy quality food. You know, it speaks to that point, you know, he's just, you know, buying what he can afford to buy. The point to that in his book is, like the highest nutrition and calorie per dollar is actually meat rather than plants. It's really, really fascinating. What's sort of controversial in his book is he actually makes the case that grass-fed versus like conventional meat, there's not really much difference from a nutritional standpoint, but from environmental and sustainability standpoint, massive differences. Now that's interesting and and of course not what we've we've heard. Yeah. That's why I love him because it's co-written by him and Diana something, but I feel like it's very objective. I didn't understand like global warming, climate change. Like, you know, you hear about climate change and you're like, oh, stop eating meat. But like, literally, that's the worst thing we could do almost. So after you read the book, everybody should read the book. It was great though. It was two hours. He actually talked to me for two hours. I'm glad you got a chance to connect to your idol. I did. And then I almost cried at the end too. So yeah. Well, that's very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. I'll put, I don't know if it'll be out when this comes out, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And you got to interview me. That was the next thing I was going to say was yesterday. I interviewed Jen also for two hours. I was like, what are we going to talk about for two hours? But we did it. We did. It's pretty good. Listeners, check it out. We obviously talk about Fast Feast Repeat. I think we talked about that for like the first three-fourths of it. And then the the last fourth was really, really fun. We did a random sort of rapid fire questions that I had gathered from my Facebook group. So it was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed the questions and I enjoyed the whole interview. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. I think it's going to be a really valuable resource because actually it's funny. I talked about this before that I didn't really have any intermittent fasting specific episodes, but now I think I'm going to have quite a few, but all with a different focus. And so yours, I think is the best for like the practical implementation. So like how to actually do intermittent fasting in your life and what that like practically looks like. So I think it's going to be a really, really valuable resource. Yeah, that's how I want to be known. I'm not the person who knows everything. I don't want to try to be somebody I'm not. I'm your friend, Jen, who can give you some good tips about how to do this thing called intermittent fasting. Exactly. I also interviewed Dr. Paul Saladino again, who wrote The Carnivore Code. Right. So you interviewed him twice? Yeah, because he re-released his book, kind of like you did, but well, you did a new book. I did. Yeah, mine's all new. Because he had self-published it and he re-released it. And so now it's like everywhere, you know, stores, tra- traditional publisher. So he's basically hitting all the shows, but he only had an hour. It was definitely the most like intense. Normally, I, I'm not like argumentative on that show at all, but it was definitely a good debate. Oh, well, that's interesting. What was the crux of the debate? People will have to listen, but... He's very pro-carnivore, you know, like very pro-carnivore. Like everyone should be carnivore. I mean, he kind of has like lightened up a little bit in his book. 
he doesn't think everybody should be carnivore and well, he does, but he provides like five tiers in his book. But from his paradigm, his, his opinion is that even if everybody doesn't do it, that it is the ideal diet for everybody and that basically all plants are toxic and it's very, um, yeah, intense. And I just, I feel like we're applying different models of evaluating toxicity and plants versus animals. And I feel like it goes both ways. Like carnivore people will often say all plants are toxic. And then on the flip side, you know, vegan and vegetarian will often say all animals toxic. And I just feel like it's more nuanced. So we really picked that apart a little bit. It was a really good, good discussion. Well, good. Sounds interesting. I will never be carnivore. Take that to the bank. (laughs) I could be vegan before I could be carnivore. And I really, you know, love cheese. So that's saying a lot. (laughs) That's true. That was something I brought up was I was saying I believe there are defensive mechanisms in dairy. And I found research to support that. So, yep. In any case, that's that. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. Right. To start things off, we have a question from Ruth and the subject is a million thanks and dot, dot, dot. And Ruth says, dear Melanie and Jen, as we are learning that COVID weight gain has been the reality for most, I am extremely thankful that I found and started IF on December 6th, 2019. When I saw a business colleague losing weight and transforming into a picture of health, I asked what she was doing. She said, I F and referred me to your podcast and books. I binge listened to lots of episodes to get the scoop and I've been a faithful listener of all three shows ever since. I have learned so much about a broad variety of health and wellness topics from you smart ladies. I have spent so much time with the two of you that I refer to you as my friends when I refer my inquisitive friends and family to you. A million thanks to both of you. I am 63 and live a very healthy and active life in Austin, Texas. Like Jen, my body just works and I can eat and do pretty much anything I want. Jen said that. (laughs) She says, I have always stayed within a normal weight range, but I've cycled from gaining weight during the holidays, Halloween to Valentine's Day, and losing it for summer most of the time. But for several years, there have been that extra 10 pounds that I knew I would be better without but cannot get off. To make this long story short, I jumped right into 24-ish pretty easily and have been clean fasting from the start. I am happy to report that I did not experience holiday or COVID weight gain. Rather, I have lost a slow and steady one pound per month and seeing body recomposition and feel great. I am a minimalist in most aspects of life, so IF is a perfect lifestyle for me. Again, a million thanks to both of you. Now to get to my real question, Jin. You mentioned a book that changed the way you taught and transformed the way you approach life. I think you gave the following example of a language change. Say, you have worked so hard instead of you are so smart. I would like to recommend it to my school teacher daughter who strives to be as good as the best teachers that made a lasting impact on her life. I looked but did not find it in the transcripts or on the book list. Can you tell me the name and author, please? Thank you. Yes, it's the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. And there's actually a revised version that I haven't read, like it's updated. I had the original, but Carol Dweck, and it's a fabulous book. It changed the way I taught completely. So definitely look it up. And for those of you who have not yet read Fast, Feast, Repeat, my very favorite chapter of the whole book is chapter 20, which is the mindset chapter. And I go way beyond, of course, Carol Dweck. I mentioned her briefly, but talk about how important our mindset is 
to this process, you know, the process of intermittent fasting, the process of losing weight, the process of anything we want to be successful with. Mindset is key. I love mindset. (laughs) So for listeners, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and the show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 175. Then for the rest of Ruth's email, she says one last story before I close. I just returned from a two week vacation to Glacier National Park by way of Colorado, Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, Canyonlands and Arches National Parks. My teacher daughter, also an avid hiker, took us on daily hikes of two to four hours that were very strenuous and at a high elevation. She was so worried that I would not be able to do it in a fasted state that she took lots of emergency snacks. As you might imagine, and to her amazement, I did great. While they were always worrying about what, when, and where they would eat next, I fasted all day and ate a wonderful dinner. I will conclude with another million thanks to both of you. I love that. I love it too. I love that she went hiking and her family, you know, (laughs) thought it wasn't going to happen. And it was great. I know. And she told us she's 63. So I love that. You know, now that I'm 51, 63 doesn't sound very old. (laughs) 63 sounds just around the corner. So I know I'll be able to hike when I'm 63 as well. So I can't wait. That's thrilling. Do you like hiking? No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like to be in the woods or outside, outside. I mean, I like to be outside. In a more, I don't know, a less rustic environment. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> Outside by the pool in my backyard, for example. But I, I went hiking a couple years ago. I went to my sister's mountain house and we went hiking and I was in the fast state and it was super easy to do. But then I got so car sick, I haven't been back. <laughs> I don't like the mountains. I love the mountains, but not the hiking. I have a bag that says, I love not camping. Yeah. Well, it was really kind of funny because I was hiking and I'd have leather sandals on, like fancy ones, (laughs) really expensive, fancy leather sandals that I hiked in because I didn't have any other shoes. And I also carried my purse with me, which looked hilarious. It was like a over-the-shoulder kind of a purse. But I had my car keys and I I was my car I had driven. Well, well, I had my sister's car keys. It was actually in her car. But I had the car keys in my little purse that I carried for her. I probably looked like an idiot. I remember when I went to Europe, for my high school Europe trip, we climbed, I don't know what it was. It was like some famous thing in like Scotland or England or somewhere. I don't know. And we didn't think it was like that big of a climb, but it actually was. It was one of those like tourist things where like, oh, you know, climb up to the top. But it's like really traumatic. And I did it in high heels. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, similar thing. These were not high heels, but I'm sure everyone is like, what is wrong with that girl? I mean, I had on jewelry. I mean, I did not look like a hiker. I looked like I was at the mall or something or going out to brunch. I actually thought we were going to go out to brunch and we didn't. Instead, we went hiking. So there you go. Anyway, I would have preferred brunch, but I, I can hike is my whole point of the story. If you wanted to. Yeah, if I wanted to. And I get that people love it. It might be because I grew up in the mountains of Virginia. We lived really far out in a very rural area. And so I had my fill of it. Maybe that was what it was. I would have thought the opposite, but I guess that makes sense. Maybe like I grew up in the south grass and I would never like to step foot in a field again. Yeah. Are you allergic to trees? I used to have a lot of trouble with allergies, but since intermittent fasting, I don't. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, 
all for free plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's filets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Alrighty, shall we jump to the next question? Yes, this is from Kaylee. And Kaylee says, hi, both from the UK. Okay, so I will try and keep this brief, but at the same time, I need to convey my situation correctly in the hope that you can help me. I am 32 years old and have dieted ever since leaving university in 2009. I managed to keep the weight off for a few years until one day, November of 2018, I looked at myself and whilst appreciating that I looked good, I still had the same insecurities, cellulite, stretch marks, bingo wings, etc. than before. What are bingo wings? Like your arm hanging down, like bat wings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. There and then, I decided that I was through with the mental health roller coaster of dieting and having issues around food and body image. Separate to this, I went vegan overnight in February of 2018, and prior to this, had suffered with IBS since 2016. So here I am now, 24 pounds heavier and in more IBS discomfort than ever. I found your podcasts and binge listened to them within three weeks, and I am now up to date. I started IF on the 18th of March, doing 18-6, and have clean fasted every day since, yes, even through lockdown. 
I have varied between 18.6 on a weekend and 21.3 during the week. I have lost nothing, zilch. Yes, Jen, I did daily weighing, and ironically, on the day I calculated the average, I was the same weight. And even though I vowed not to weigh myself in June, I now look and feel really bloated. Clothes are very tight. I have read all your books and others, Fung for the Win, and I am wholeheartedly invested in the science and sold with the benefits of IF. This brings me to my IBS issue, a very long story short. I have been told to try the low FODMAP diet to try to figure out my sensitivities. This includes a strict elimination phase, then weeks of reintroducing potential trigger foods with the aim for the triggers to be identified. My anxiety with this is not being able to commit to IF at the same time as a very restrictive FODMAP diet. It's not forever and isn't designed to be followed long term. I guess I'm just asking for your opinions and any advice regarding the whole situation. Thank you both for the research, time, and effort you put into this lifestyle and spreading the knowledge for others. You really are like two friends I can pull out of my pocket and listen to for advice, information, and giggles. Thank you for taking the time to read my SOS call. Much love from the UK, Kaylee. All right. Well, thank you, Kaylee, for your question. First of all, I think it's awesome that you're sticking to clean fasting, but I'm sorry about the weight issues and the IBS. I can definitely speak to the the FODMAP aspect of things. So, So low FODMAP diet, basically it involves different compounds common in foods that are easily fermentable by gut bacteria. And the thought is that a lot of people have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is where there's an overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestine, which should be relatively sterile compared to your large intestine. And so a low FODMAP diet basically reduces their food sources and it can help with digestion, bloating, IBS, things like that. So the type of foods common on it, like meat doesn't have FODMAPs. It's things like cucumbers and a lot of leafy greens, certain fruits are low FODMAP, like pineapple and berries. Higher FODMAP foods are a lot of like starches, a lot of grains, a lot of, well, yeah, a lot of starches and grains, and then a lot of fruits as well. So the fruits are kind of like half and half. If you're curious about it, I do have an app that is very, very helpful. Kaylee, if you have an iPhone, it's called Food Sense Guide. So you can get that at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide, and it will reveal over 300 foods for their FODMAP levels, and not just FODMAPs, actually 10 other compounds. <laughs> so histamine, gluten, lectins, oxalates, salicylates, nightshades. It's a really valuable resource. I'm actually currently updating it for resistant starch and AIP, which is exciting. But you can go ahead and get it now because you'll automatically get the updates. They're free. But in any case, so it's ironic because, or it's funny, I don't know. A lot of people do see low FODMAP as very restrictive. I love low FODMAP. <laughs> like I basically been eating low FODMAP before I even knew what low FODMAP was for probably 10 years. And it's just because it was the foods that don't make me bloated and uncomfortable. So I was kind of already doing it and I continue to do it and I don't feel restricted at all. That said, I'm the type of personality that does really well with like simple. And it's interesting. I feel like when it comes to food, a lot of people really seek variety and they get bored. And then there's a type like me that I have like no interest in variety. Like I like the foods I like, and then I don't really like expanding beyond that. So my recommendation is 
well, for people who want to try out a low FODMAP diet, if you're like me and you, you know, like simple, then it's actually pretty easy. But if you are like Kaylee and you do feel like it's restrictive. So her main question is, should she be doing it while doing IF? I actually say yes, unless you can't reframe it this way, but maybe you can. You've already been doing IF. And the thing is, I I don't get the sense from you that you feel like IF is restrictive. You've been doing it and you haven't ever, you know, not clean fasted. Like I don't sense that from you. So if you don't feel like IF is restrictive, then maybe you can just see as changing your food choices. But if it does feel way too restrictive for you, I mean, you could stop doing IF and, and just do low FODMAP, but I don't know. I would really encourage you to try it since you're already been doing IF for so long. Yes. And I think that's true. You know, if I were going to do an elimination protocol to try to figure out, you know, if foods were bothering me, I would still do it within my intermittent fasting paradigm just because that's how I eat. I'm an intermittent faster. I have an eating window. So I would make all the changes just within my eating window. Yeah, because then you're changing two variables. It's kind of like the opposite of what Jen says in Fast Feast Repeat and that when she says starting IF, you know, not to change your diet because you want to just change the one variable. Like because, you know, you're making this huge paradigm shift to fasting. So if you're starting fasting, you might not want to change your diet as well. You don't want to change too many things at once. That's my thing. Because then you might start to feel bad because you stopped intermittent fasting, not because of the the low FODMAP. So, you know, we all want to like try out, change everything at one time. That's human nature for so many of us. You know, slower changes where you're changing one thing at the time, then you can really see what's making the difference. To that point, Fasting is typically often recommended in the low FODMAP approach because it allows the cleansing ways, the peristalsis and the small intestine to clear. So if this is to to address GI distress, fasting is actually one of the best things you can do for that. So yeah, I would really, really encourage you, like go through the list, get my app, (laughs) go through the list and see if you find a lot of foods on it that you really love and try to reframe and don't see it as restrictive. Like rather than what you can't have, maybe focus on what you can have. I love low FODMAP. I mean, all the things I adore are low FODMAP, meat, coconut oil, pineapple, berries, cucumbers. I mean, I know that's like just a few foods, but those are the foods I love. Dairy is low FODMAP if it's lactose-free. If it contains lactose, then it's higher in FODMAPs. I don't know. It can really be a game changer. I'm kind of excited for you because it can be a game changer for a lot of people. And like you said, it's not intended to be long-term unless you realize that you just really thrive on it. You're the expert of that. So yeah, good info. I hope, Kaylee, that you figure out what it is because I know that it's miserable to have IBS. So I hope that you can figure out what's triggering it for you. Okay, it says you went vegan overnight on February 2018 and you had IBS prior to that. So it sounds like you're still vegan. That adds in another factor. That's going to be a little bit more limiting if you're still doing vegan. I don't know if you're vegan for like ethical reasons or nutritional reasons. If it's nutritional reasons, kind of... (laughs) The big, I didn't plan this, but what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, I would encourage you to analyze that a little bit further because there could be something there. A lot of people do vegan diet, and I'm not 
putting down vegan diets, but I do know a lot of people, especially like in the lower carb or carnivore world, came there after having nutritional issues or digestive issues, IBS issues on plant, extremely plant-based or vegan diets, and then had a lot of that resolve. So just something to consider. So the next question comes from Kim and the subject is fear. Kim says, hi, I'm a teacher at a private school and believe it or not, we are going back to school live and in person next week. I started IF at the beginning of the summer after seeing friends who looked amazing. They told me all about IF. I started a few days later after reading Delight Don't Deny. I read Fast Feast Repeat. She says, I've been doing great all summer with the relaxed schedule 24. This past week, I've been sabotaging myself. I am so nervous about going back, getting up much earlier, and starting my day without my usual sugar and creamed up coffee and breakfast. I have this very serious fear that I won't be able to do it get over the morning slump and last the whole day without eating, which is my goal. I would love to not eat until school is over. The schedule this year is crazy enough with all of the changes, masks, less breaks, teaching a hybrid of online as well as in person. I most likely won't have time to eat, but I need to find a way to calm my nerves and get over the morning slump. Since you were a teacher, I was wondering if you have any tips on how to deal with the transition from a summer schedule to school schedule. Thank you. Well, Kim, it's great to hear from you. And as I talked about, was it on the last episode? My my friends who are teachers were getting ready to start back to school, I think, the next day. In our school system where I taught, they were going back in person, same thing. The elementary was in person five days a week, and the middle high, they are doing a hybrid A-B kind of a schedule where half the kids come every other day. So, you know, I'm feeling very emotional about it because— if I had not retired from teaching, it would be me right there. And I I know that it's got to be so hard emotionally, and this is different, and it's different for the kids. And, and you know, there's a fear. Like you said, the subject of your email was fear. But I want to tell you one thing. Intermittent fasting is going to make this easier for you, not harder for you. Because, you know, I I taught for 28 years, and it was so much easier when I was an intermittent faster and I didn't eat till school was over. It made my life so much easier. So don't be afraid that you can't. Instead, go ahead and tell yourself, not only can you, but it's what's going to make the day so much better. You know, you're going to get up, you're going to have your black coffee. I've said this before, but I know that the sugar and the creamer is soothing, But I want you to think of the black coffee. Maybe it doesn't taste soothing because maybe you don't love the taste of it. But think of it as your black coffee medicine (laughs) that you're going to drink because, or you could just skip coffee completely. But I enjoyed, once I got to the point where I didn't dislike the taste of it, once I adapted to it, I actually enjoy the black coffee. So until you get to the point where you enjoy it, if you still want to include it, just tell yourself, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this for myself. And it's helping me with the clean fast. So have your black coffee, go to school. You're going to find, you know, not eating, not having to snack buys you so much time. You know, you're not going to have the breaks that you're used to having from the past. You said that already. And so the time that you normally would have spent with eating, snacking, having lunch, you're going to be able to be more productive. So, you know, hats off to you and to all the teachers and y'all are heroes I know that you can do it. Don't be scared. Instead, embrace that this is going to make it easier for you and not harder. You know, one of my my friends, 
that I taught with, it's, she's actually a great friend. One year, she co-taught with me when I was a third grade teacher. She was a special education inclusion teacher. So she she pushed into my classroom when I was teaching math and worked with the children that had, you know, special education needs when it came to math and also helped me, you know, teach all the kids. And then she taught my son when he was in fifth grade, my older son, Cal, who's now married. That's how long we've been friends. And then also I taught her daughter in the gifted program. And so she's in one of my Facebook groups and she is an intermittent faster. And she posted after the first day of school about how crazy it was as a first, she's now a first grade teacher, how crazy it was for her the first day back, and they're trying to figure out their way, and she didn't get a lunch break, and she didn't even get a bathroom break. She had no breaks at all the first day of school, but thanks to intermittent fasting, she was able to do it. So I think that you can, Kim, and you're going to be really grateful for intermittent fasting. So to clarify reading her question, so do you think, so her current schedule, it sounds like she's doing like a breakfast and lunch? I'm not really sure. It might be that she's nervous about starting her day as a teacher without the the sugar and cream and coffee and breakfast. It's different because she's at home, so she's able to – I don't know what schedule she's using now, but it may just be that she's not sure she can teach without the breakfast and the coffee that she used to have. That's kind of how I interpreted it. Yeah, because I feel like depending on what it is, it's two different situations. She says that she's been doing a relaxed 24 schedule you know, now she's starting school and she's nervous without doing it without her usual. I just took that as she's nervous as teaching school because she's not ever gone to school without breakfast. She says without her usual sugar and creamed up coffee and breakfast, which could either be what Jen just said, her usual from teaching, or it could be her usual, like it could be right now she's doing a breakfast lunch window. And if so, (laughs) it's like two different things, you know, because if she's doing a later window already, you know, everything Jen just said, it's going to be, you know, most likely much easier than in the past when you had, when you were running on a sugar and breakfast. The reason I'm just confused and maybe I should have emailed her for follow-up is if she's already doing it as an evening window and feeling good, I wonder like if she's used to having energy in the morning, fasting, teaching's not going to really be any different as far as the energy that you get while fasting. I think she's probably just worried that she can't because she never has before. She's never taught without that before. So really, if you can do a 20-hour fast, like she says she's doing a 20-hour fast every day, if you can do a 20-hour fast and open your window in the morning, you can do a 28-hour fast and open your window later that first day, and then that's your new schedule. If you're adapted to a 20-hour fast, I think you can push it a few more hours. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause it's funny. I'd read it the opposite. I read that she was doing breakfast right now and she wanted to change it. Well, either way, like, like you said, if she is doing breakfast now and she wants to change it, she's already doing 20 hours. So if her body's adapted to 20 hours, she can go longer. Yeah. I think it'll be great. All right. This is from Marie and the subject is keto green 16. Hello ladies. Thank you for a wonderful podcast. I listen every week. I have a question about Dr. Anna Kabeka's Keto Green 16 plan and how to implement it into the clean IF lifestyle. I'm 51 years old and have been IFing for over a year with some benefits, but not much weight loss. So listening to Dr. Kabeka's plan, I instantly thought that is my problem. Hormones over 50, not reducing my insulin or hitting ketosis because of what I'm eating. Then I got the plan and thought, wait, what? What? 
I can't have the morning drink. That will push me out of fasting. I usually do 18-6 or a 24 plan with a late afternoon, early evening window. Can you explain how I can implement Dr. Gobeka's plan of eating, especially her morning drink, and still maintain my clean fast? Thanks again for all the wonderful information, Marie. By the way, this brought back like memories because when we talked to Dr. Kabeka was when I was recording the audiobook for Fast Feast Repeat. I was recording in my kitchen little studio. So I'm like imagining sitting in my little kitchen recording studio and now I'm back in my regular podcast room. Anyway. Whenever I think of Dr. Kabeka, I just instantly feel calm. She just has a really wonderful spirit. So yeah, encouraging and I wanted to include this question because a lot of people have asked me this. I don't know if people have talked about this in your groups, Jen. No, not really. Because basically, so Dr. Kabeca's Keto Grain 16, she's a big proponent of intermittent fasting. And her version to keto really focuses on the alkalinity aspect. So making sure the diet's not acidic to the body. But she does have some drinks that definitely well, in our opinion, break a clean fast. So long story short is how can you implement her plan of eating, especially her morning drink and still maintain your clean fast? Basically, you can do the food choices that she advocates in your eating window and not do the morning drink, or you would have your eating window encompass the morning drink. But if you wanted to technically do the quote clean fast, you would not be doing the morning drink and a later eating window. Oh, and we will put in the show notes a link to the two episodes, right? She's been on twice, right? She has, yeah. Two episodes that we've had with her. She has two books. Yeah. Yeah, right. The Hormone Fix and Keto Green. And I've had her on my show twice as well. Wow. So we will put four links. I think I've had her on twice, maybe just once. I'm not sure. (laughs) We'll put links in the show notes. All right. So the next question comes from Camille. The subject is hunger during fasting. And Camille says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. I've just started listening to your podcast and reading Jen's new book. I've been intermittent fasting for about two years, but not consistently. I recently started a few weeks ago doing 16-8, eating from noon until 8. I've been clean fasting, only having black tea in the mornings and saving my delicious coffee with milk for the afternoon. The problem is I get really hungry when I wake up in the morning and it continues until 12. I can't change up the times much because my fiance gets home late from work and we eat dinner together around seven. It's discouraging. It makes me want to go back to eating breakfast, even though I've lost a little weight in the past few weeks. How can I stop being so hungry in the morning? Am I doing something wrong? Thanks. All right. So Camille, you know, you just started again a few weeks ago, so you're still in the adjustment period. So I would reread the 28-day fast start, and I would consider the the easy does it approach where you're easing yourself in and you're, you know, just start from today with the easy does it approach and ease yourself in so that you're training your body to get into the fat burning state and so that you are able to fast better instead of being so hungry all the time. Because if you're hungry, 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 that means your body is not tapping into your fat stores. So you want to help your body get to that point. You know, a long eating window actually does make it harder. So if you look at the 28-day fast start, you're gradually shrinking that eating window and training your body to like I said, to tap into fat. So if you keep a 16-8 all the time, it lengthens the adjustment period because you're just when your body is making that transition, boom, you fill up and eat again. So I know it's counterintuitive, but you need to push through some longer fasts eventually to kind of get over that hump. That's my recommendation for that. I think that's great. 
All righty. Are we ready for Margot? Mm-hmm. Margot's subject is IF and elevated blood glucose levels. Hi, Jen and Melanie. I love the podcast and have learned so much from both of you. I am 42 years old and have been doing IF for over two years now. I mainly have a window of about 24-ish. Two days a week, I throw in a 36 to 42-hour fast. The longer fasts are not hard for me. I actually have to force myself to eat so I can have a family dinner with my son. I am just not hungry a lot of the time. I started IF to tighten up and lose about five pounds. I was never overweight, but was looking to maintain and tone up after the birth of my son four years ago. After I started researching the health benefits of IF, I have stuck with it mainly for the purposes of autophagy and healing. I always clean fast and do high-intensity interval training workouts or vigorous walking in the fasted state. This is why I was a little thrown when I went to have blood work done last week and found that my fasting glucose was 106. I was shocked. I had been fasting for 16 hours when the test was done. I normally eat very clean in my window, mainly paleo, but allow for some flexibility on weekends. This number makes me very nervous. Going back through old blood work, I do see that my fasting glucose levels typically are in the 90s. I thought that with IF, they were supposed to drop due to insulin sensitivity. Then I started thinking. I remember an episode where Jen was talking about black coffee actually raising glucose levels in the fasted state, not due to high blood sugar, but because it helps the liver clear out glycogen more efficiently. I did have a cup of black coffee the morning of my blood draw. Ding, ding, ding. This is Jen just saying that. (laughs) I think that's it. I am wondering if that is what is contributing to my high glucose levels. I am very nervous. I have messaged my doctor and asked for a retest, but also asked to have my hemoglobin A1C levels tested. In the meantime, I also remember Jen talking about having blood work done to test her fasting insulin levels, not glucose. Can you please provide that information? I would love to have that test as well, even though it is not mainstream. I should also add that I did faint during the blood test. I never do well with blood draws, and I wonder if that's why my levels spiked as well. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on all of this. Be well and stay safe. Yes, Margot, I think that you shouldn't have coffee before you go have fasted blood work. That would be my recommendation. Don't have coffee. Just have water and maybe try again for that. As far as a fasting insulin test, your doctor can just order that. It's not anything your doctor can't ask for. It's not that. I mean, even though it's unusual for doctors to ask for it, they can do it. I had an episode on the Lumen device, which it doesn't measure blood sugar, but it's a breath analyzer that tells you if you're burning carbs or fat. So basically it tells you if you're producing energy from glucose or from fatty acids, not ketones, glucose or fatty acids. Of course, if you're running on ketones, you would it would show that you're fat burning. I think one of the biggest things people are learning because I actually started a whole Facebook group for it. If you're interested, it's called Lumen Lovers, Biohack Your Carbon Fat Burning. So you can join me there. But one of the things I keep hearing over and over and over is so many people are doing fasting and their lumen is saying that they're burning carbs during the fast. It just happens over and over and over again. And I think it's a very common thing, actually, especially if your body is not preferentially really embracing the fat burning mode during the fasted state for whatever reason, stress, coffee, so many different things can encourage the liver to release glycogen 
So release blood sugar or create glucose from a process called gluconeogenesis. So even if your liver is glycogen depleted, it can still produce glucose. And oftentimes if people aren't, if their body's not naturally really switching into ketosis, then when the liver glycogen gets depleted, rather than preferentially turning to fat stores and ketones, the liver might decide to actually create glucose from protein. And actually I'm reading right now the Fat Burn Fix by Kate Shanahan. It's blowing my mind because she talks about how until until the brain really gets accustomed to running on ketones and the whole body does, it could actually, with dropping blood sugar levels, send a message directly to the liver to create basically create glucose. So the point of all of that is that a lot of people actually do find that they have higher fasting blood sugar levels. Like I said, it could be stress. It could be the coffee exercise tends to do it as well. So yeah, it's definitely something to consider. Yeah. You can, you can retest the insulin thing would be great as well. If you have your own blood sugar monitor, they're really affordable. We can put a link to them in the show notes. If you get over the fear of (laughs) freaking yourself, then they're really easy to do. You could be testing and you could find out. You could also get that Lumen device, like I said, and it could maybe help you figure out if you're fat or carb burning during the fast. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I also have a discount for it, $50 off. But yeah, I just think so many people experience this and I'm just hearing it more and more ever since I started that Lumen group. As far as recommendations for it, I mean, there's just, there's so much to consider. You're, like I said, you probably want to do more testing to see what the trend is. But then after that, you might want to reevaluate the foods you're eating, your stress levels. You really have to, you know, reevaluate everything. Hemoglobin A1C would be pretty telling for listeners who aren't familiar that it shows the level of glycation on your red blood cells. So, when your blood sugar is elevated, it can glycate your red blood cells. So if it's elevated consistently, you're going to see that in your hemoglobin A1C. It's a long-term predictor. It can reveal more information. That said, if, <laughs> since you're already down for asking for random tests that doctors don't usually do, like fasting insulin, something even more telling than hemoglobin A1C is fructosamine because hemoglobin A1C can actually be slightly misleading because if it's complicated, but basically if your blood cells are dying faster, you could have a false, I guess it would be a false negative. Like your hemoglobin A1C could look good, but it's just because your red blood cells are dying faster. That's why a lot of people in the low carb world will argue that you might get a higher hemoglobin A1C because your red blood cells are actually living longer. Fructosamine is probably going to give you the the best predictor or the best is really going to show you what's actually happening with your blood sugar and your red blood cells. I just mentioned that because if she's going to ask for insulin, I mean, might as well ask for all the <laughs> all the uncommon tests. But yeah, that was a technical answer, but we'll put links to all of the stuff in the show notes. We have time for one more question. This is from Christine. The subject is question about mindset while in maintenance. And Christine says, hello, although I've been practicing IF for three years and maintaining my weight for almost two years, I just found your podcast. I struggle with one thing, and that is how do you change your daily thoughts when you no longer are concerned about losing weight? I spent 40 years worrying about diets and weight loss every day. 
Can you direct me to any information that's out there that is directed toward those of us in maintenance and how to deal with no longer having to worry about our weight or diets? When we spent a lifetime thinking about that every day, it's strange not to have to think about it. And I wonder if some people end up going backwards because that's their comfort zone. I hope this question makes sense. Thank you for any help you can provide. Yeah, this is a great question. And Christine, if you haven't read Fast Feast Repeat yet, I would encourage you to read it. The beginning chapters talk about why intermittent fasting is the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. So once you realize the amazing health benefits of intermittent fasting, you would never want to quit. You would never go backwards, as you as you put it, because you're going to realize that intermittent fasting is what you do to live a long and healthy life. And, you know, like my husband, who does intermittent fasting only for the health benefits, he never needed to lose weight. So I want you to change your daily thoughts from dieting and losing weight to I do intermittent fasting because it's a healthy way to live. And then you just, you know, what was that that commercial, that infomercial, set it and forget it. You know, you just do it. It was like a Ronco rotisserie. Set it and forget it. Do you have you ever seen that, Melanie? It's probably too old for you. I haven't. Okay. Set it and forget it. The older members of the audience are like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So that's how I want you to think about intermittent fasting. It is no longer what you're doing to try to lose weight. It is the way you live because it's healthy and you feel great while you do it. I love this question so much because I think, I mean, when you've been in one mindset for so long. The more you think about certain things, you're creating those neural pathways. They're reasserting themselves. They're strengthening themselves. It's really, really hard to change that. And even things, you know, anxieties that we have, like it's so hard to talk yourself out of an anxiety or a fear. Like logically, you can know that something is not a threat or something is not happening or something is not true. But as long as that thought is deep in your limbic system and your amygdala subconscious, it's really, really hard to change those. That's why I think there's a lot of different avenues to work with it. And you really just have to find the one that works for you. You know, some people do really well with journaling. Some people do really well with meditation. Okay, I'm just going to like list off a lot of episodes because I've had episodes that might help with this that might really help you, Christine. So meditation helps a lot of people. I interviewed Emily Fletcher, so I will put a link to that. Actually, by the time this comes out, I think it will have aired. I recently interviewed Jessica Flanagan and she wrote The Loving Diet. And that episode and the book really can be a game changer and it's about you know, replacing these fears and thoughts and anxieties all with love and having that perspective. And it sounds like, it sounds so simple, but I mean, it can be really, really profound. One of my most popular episodes was with Amy Johnson. She wrote the little book of big change, really, really huge paradigm shift there as far as just experiencing everything as an experience and not as right and not as wrong. That framework and mentality can help. And using like like what Jen said, replacing that thought of intermittent fasting as a diet and replace it with a healthy lifestyle as like a, a lifestyle. If you can, you know, somehow use your worry about diets and weight loss as a trigger to replace it. If you can see it as rather than when, when you have that thought and you're worried about it, be excited by that thought because you can use it as a trigger to reframe. And we know that our brains can change the more we, you know, wire them differently and think about different things. So yeah, there's a lot of tools in the toolbox you can use. 
you just really have to find the tool that works for you because goodness knows changing these thoughts and especially when identity is tightened is so, so difficult, but that's why we can be grateful that there are all of these, all of these tools and we can be grateful that the brain can change. So I'll put links, links in the show notes galore. This is like the links in the show notes episode. Well, anything else from you, Jen? No, but I think this was a jam-packed episode and we got to, gosh, I can't even, let me, I'm going to count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We got to seven listener emails. That might be a record. It's pretty awesome. I thought of one more thing for Christine. Can I say it really quick? No, I'm sorry. Your time is up. (laughs) There's just so many tools. Also, Christine, join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers. Oh, yes, please. Christine, join my Facebook group, IF Biohackers. Ask this question. People will like flood you with answers. And I can also put my response. But this one sounds really silly, but it can be really profound. And I've said it before on the show. But talking out loud to yourself in the third person about the new idea that you want to have about yourself. When you do that, a part of your brain hears it that doesn't hear it when you just think it. So if the new idea that you want to have is like intermittent fasting is a lifestyle or I love my body, I love my weight, I am not dieting, you would say, this sounds crazy, but you can do it in the third person out loud. And you can say like, you know, Christine, we we love your body. Christine, we love your weight. Christine, we're not dieting. Like saying that out loud over and over can have a really actually profound effect on our brains, even though it might sound a little crazy. That's a great strategy. It is. All right. So listeners, if you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can also follow us on iTunes, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It's super helpful and support. It's supportive of the show as far as iTunes is like the place to be. So you can follow us on Instagram. I am at Melanie Avalon, Jen is Jen Stevens. And yeah, I think that's it. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.